Welcome to Money Grows on Trees. Money does grow on trees. A podcast full of practical, real-life money lessons that you wish you learned in school. Lloyd is a former lawyer turned lifestyle entrepreneur. In each episode, he'll be answering the tough questions around money, investing, and entrepreneurship to help you transform your money mindset and move you closer to achieving your financial goals. Now, let the class begin. Here's your host, Lloyd Ross. All right, welcome back to the show, Money Grows on Trees podcast. This episode is titled, A Short History of the Stock Market. All right, so you're probably wondering, maybe you're not wondering, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to regale you with a history of how the stock market came to be, okay? You may have seen it on TV, on movies, uh, that there's people in a trading pit and they're saying, buy, sell, buy, sell, or maybe like a boiler room with phone calls and they're trying to take... You know, stock orders from investors, um, you know, I'm sure you have a bit of an idea of what the stock market looks like, um, but what you may not know is how did it start, why did it start, how did it grow and develop what it is today, and why is it so important? So I want to take you on a bit of a history lesson, back to when it started a few hundred years ago, and it started in Europe, and how it started was that, you know, there was these, there were shipping expeditions by ship owners and adventurers and sailors and explorers to go out into other lands and bring back with them new materials, new resources, new artifacts that were worth money. And they would sell these to the townspeople um, and that was valuable, right? But here's what happened. It was very risky to go and take those expeditions, obviously, because the ship can, you know, sink or get pirated or, you know, there was a lot of risk in that. So what would happen is they would actually ask some of the townsfolk to actually invest in the expedition so that not all of their money was tied up in it. And so they started selling, you know, a, kind of like shares in the in the spoils of what the expedition would bring back. So for example, if there was say five uh, well-to-do people because they had spare money, they had to have some spare money. It was pure speculation. It was kind of like a bit of a lottery where they they would get a, a group of five people and those five people would, would give them money and they would go off and it would pay for a lot of the expedition. They'd come back and they'd all share in the spoils of the trip, right? That's basically the return on investment of the trip. But of course, what would happen is the ship would go out and, and it would it would get pirated or it would sink. So it was, the, the you know, you'd lose all your money if you were effectively investing in that. So what happened was there's this, um, that's how it started. And then there was a company by the name of the East Indian Trading Company. And it was one of the first companies ever. And what it did was it took money from investors, but then it invested uh, in multiple different ships. So it kind of allowed them to spread their risk across not just investing in one boat expedition, but perhaps investing in five or 10 at a time. And so what would happen is it's basically where people started to buy shares in a company and the company would then buy um, stakes or you know part ownership in the spoils of these shipping expeditions, right? And then what happened was these shares in the East Indian Trading Company that these investors in town had and owned, if if more goods came back on the on the ships that returned, the value of the shares would go up. Okay, and they would also get dividends or be participate in income from the sale of the goods from the ship. And so, what would happen is if the value of the shares went up, these people started selling their share in the East Indian Trading Company. So they were starting to trade or sell and buy shares in this particular company that was all about shipping expeditions. And that's how shares started, 
Okay. Now, as it started to evolve, they started to apply this type of crowdfunding um, to things like gold mines and inventions, right? And brokers who would broker the deal. So they were the ones that were, were, were connecting a buyer and a seller. They were broking the deal. Like real estate brokers broker a deal between a buyer and a seller for real estate. The same thing would happen with stocks, right? Or shares. And they brokers started to get a bit of a bad name because there was a few brokers out there that would they were selling shares in, chick, for example, chickens that would turn into sheep. And they were selling shares in these chickens that would eventually turn into sheep. And of course, that never happened. So they started to get this bad reputation, right? They would sell shares in gold mines that didn't pan out. There was no gold there. So it started to be obviously very unregulated and it was very shonky, but that's how, you know, it, it started out like that. And hope, and thankfully it got better and better and better, right? But that's how brokers kind of developed their shady, their shady, uh, I guess you could say brand, right? So, um, you know, one of these examples, the chickens into the sheep, what happened was it was the first first stock market crash or panic. And I think it was in the 15 or 1600s. I want to say the 1600s. But um, a fellow was selling shares in chickens that would turn into sheep. And eventually the shares became worth 5,000 pounds. And someone said, hang on a second. How are these worth 5,000 pounds? And so they started selling the shares. And then, of course, panic set in. Everyone started selling the shares. And that was the first very first panic uh, in the share market. So first first crash in shares, okay? Now, because this was just reserved for people who had spare money and they were having, you know, it was a very speculative experience. There was very low expectations of return. So it didn't affect the economy back then because not it, it wasn't businesses that were crowdfunding. It was just inventions, gold mines, and of course, shipping expeditions, okay? So it was contained. But then what happened was eventually um, there was this, there was the, the there was these people who were called merchants and they would um, like in the 1600s they would broker deals outside in the park or outside they would they would you know talk to buyers and connect buyers with sellers and they'd take a commission right and the, the where they did this there was this wall this is in the 1600s there was this wall they built up right and the wall in New York was built to keep the American Indians out from coming and invading Okay, because this is the pilgrims who built the wall, right? This is in the 1600s, very primitive America. And so they built this wall to keep the Indians out. And eventually the wall fell down, but this became this area where the wall was built became really the central hub of commerce in New York City. And uh, they called it Wall Street. And that's why they call it Wall Street, because of that particular wall to keep out the uh, the invading Indians, right? This is back many, many years ago. So what happened was in, in 1792, these outside merchants were brokering these deals to, for people to buy and sell shares in these mines and expeditions and, and investments, okay? 24 of them gathered outside Wall Street and they signed an agreement called the Buttonwood Agreement, okay? And that was an agreement where they they formalized the stock market, basically, right? They came together and they formalized that. But what they found was because it was outside and in the open air, Buyers and sellers could learn about all this information and learn sort of the inside scoop of what was happening. And it was very hard to control. And a lot of the public were trying to broker deals themselves and taking money and commissions that the brokers, right, these 24 members could have earned. So they're like, you know what? We need to take this inside. So they went to a local tavern near Wall Street and they opened up what's called the New York Stock Exchange. or New York, They called it the New York Exchange Board, effectively the New York Stock Exchange. And they opened it in a tavern, in a pub, okay, in New York. And once it was closed, the public wasn't allowed in. OK, 
okay? So if you had, if you wanted to buy stocks, you had to actually deal with one of the brokers inside there to actually buy or sell your stocks. And that's how the brokers made their money. So they made commission on you buying and selling, and you didn't have a lot of information, so you had to rely on their inside information to make or break that. And of course, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, shenanigans that went on, right? Uh, a lot of shady deals, you can imagine, going on there, no regulation. Um, but what happened was it, was, it was formalizing trading, right? And it was allow- it was, what was great about it was it was starting to crowdfund from investors, expeditions, inventions, investment in you know, infrastructure, stuff like this, right? So what would happen in that, in that first New York Stock Exchange is that they would start to buy and sell shares in one-eighths of a dollar, okay? And that's why the old share trading prices were in eighths, right? Two-eighths, three-eighths, one-eighth. And the reason why they're in eighths of a dollar is because the Spanish coins they were using back then, <laughs> they would cut them into eight pieces, and that's how they would buy and sell shares. So that's why they were, the stock prices of investments and shares were always quoted in eighths. That's why, which is kind of weird. Eventually, it went to decimals and and uh, the the system we have now, which is great, right? So, um, but before then, that's that's why it was quoted in you know a price plus eighths. Now, here's what happened in 1789. The first government bonds were traded on Wall Street. So, the a bond is when you 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 issue an instrument and someone lends you money. So a bond is basically a borrowing, a promise. A promise to repay the funds borrowed is a bond, right? If you haven't heard my episode on bonds, go listen to that, it'll explain it. But the first government bonds were issued, so the government were issuing bonds to the public, and the public were obviously lending money to the government, and it was to the tune of about $80 million they raised in these first bonds to help fund the war against England, okay, in 1789. So uh, that was why the first bonds were created, right, or... or, or um, developed and traded on the stock exchange to fund the war effort. Okay, so you're starting to see now that the stock market uh, was a f- was important to facilitate fundraising for certain things. Okay, now over time, what happened was as America went through the the Industrial Revolution and um, incredible inventions and technology and industries started to develop. Then of course these big titans of industry, you know, were created, and it was a boom for the stock market. And there was a lot of people um, that were making a lot of money out of out of the stock market in the early days. This particular woman they called the Witch of Wall Street, and she she was called the Witch of Wall Street because she looked like a witch. <laughs> but um, she actually uh, I forget what her name is now. Hetty Green, I think. Hetty Green. It's a weird name. Hetty Green. Her name was right. Go Google her. Hetty Green, the Witch of Wall Street. You better learn all about her. But she amassed a fortune of $100 million, right? That's incredible, right? Investing in railroads, investing in railroads, right? $100 million. And um, this is where a lot, of, uh, a lot of regulation started to come out because a lot of these um, speculators and investors and, and traders and merchants, they were starting to you know, game the system a bit. And there was this fellow by the name of Gould. I forget what his first name was. I think... Um, someone Gould. Anyway, the story goes that he was the first short seller. So what he would do in in the late 1700s, early 1800s, he would actually go and he, he kind of gamed the system. And so he went and he borrowed shares of someone else. So he borrowed someone's shares, paid them some interest, right? So he paid them a bit of income to say, hey, let me borrow your shares. I'll give you a little bit of interest on that borrowing of the shares so you got some income coming in, okay, until I give them back to you. 
I'm like, yeah, no worries, no worries, Gould, here's my shares, all good. And then what Gould did was he owned the newspaper. He owned one of the major newspapers locally. And he would then go and run all these uh, stories, these negative, fear-inducing stories in his paper that would cause that particular stock that he'd borrowed to drop massively, right? And so he would, sorry, let me let me explain that again. He would borrow the shares, okay, sell them, sell them immediately for a high price that they were, and once they were sold, he would um, run the share price down, basically, right? And then he'd buy them back, and that's how he that's that's who created the first uh, first short selling. Okay, so he was artificially driving down the price of the shares. Um, and it was able to buy them back at a very low price, and he would take the margin. And short selling still happens today, but that was market manipulation. And so that's why some of these stories happened where they started to regulate the stock market, right? So you can't, it's called market manipulation, and you can't do that, it's illegal. So there's certain rules and laws in place that if you, call, if you, if you break these laws, you go to jail. And it's because you know a lot of people were getting swindled. So there's a good example of the first short sale and what was happening there. Then what happened was um, World War World War One actually in uh, the 1900 teens, so from 1914 to 1918, World War One caused the first major panic in the stock market, like the big a big panic. And what's fascinating about that experience was it closed for four months. Right, the stock market closed. The New York Stock Exchange closed for four months. Think about that. A lot of you out there who are trading now and, and watching it every day and you don't really know what you own and you're not too sure if it will be here, if there's a war broken out. Imagine the stock market, there was a war even say with China or someone like that and the stock market closed for four months. Would you be able to last? Would your business that you invested in still be there? Would you? Would it matter? Is your trading strategy that you have to look at it every day? And I think it's a great example of, hey, the stock market can close. Hopefully there's no wars, but there's a good example of what happened in World War One, right? Then what happened was the telegraph was introduced, okay, which caused all these like regional local stock markets in all these different towns because you had to have a market. You had to have merchants brokering deals between people who had money wanting to invest in things and basically moving capital around to start, you know, innovating and developing society. And so when the telegraph was invented, you didn't need these local share markets anymore in towns. And so they would just disappeared and the main stock market became the New York Stock Exchange in Wall Street. And uh and that's what it is, that's what it's developed in today. But in 1889, the very first edition of the Wall Street Journal went on sale, right? It's obviously the very much the most famous, probably one of the most famous um, financial um, uh, publications in the world. And the Wall Street Journal was selling for two cents then. And it was actually started by um, Charles Dow and Edward Jones. Now, if you've ever watched Bloomberg, or you've looked at the stock market, You'll understand this thing, right, uh, called the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Okay, so they, in the Wall Street Journal, every day, they would have an index of twelve stocks, and that index every day was known as the Dow Jones Industrial Average Index, and it was started by Charles Dow and Edward Jones from the Wall Street Journal, and um, now it's the Dow Thirty, so it's the thirty top stocks, uh, quoted stocks, right? The Dow Jones Industrial Thirty, the Dow Average. And that's how you assess the health of the economy, is looking at the, the price movements of the top 30 companies in different industries, right? So uh, beyond that, beyond that, what happened was 
that some of some of the most effective people in finance, like J.P. Morgan, if you haven't ever watched, I might do an episode on J.P. Morgan. He was one of the most um, important people in finance in America. Okay, now if you've ever heard of J.P. Morgan Chase or J.P. Morgan Bank, that's because it's named after him, <laughs> and he's got a fascinating story. Um, but he ended up becoming, uh, he, he owned all the railroads. He owned monopolies in railroads and became very, very wealthy. But he even brokered the deal between, he sold, he helped Andrew Carnegie, who was the second wealthiest man in history, Andrew Carnegie, who owned U.S. Steel. J.P. Morgan bought U.S. Steel off of Andrew Carnegie for $400 million back then, making Andrew Carnegie the wealthiest man in the world at that time until John D. Rockefeller, uh, who owned Standard Oil, he owned all the oil in the world, basically, he became the richest man in the world for, at, a, at the tune of about his wealth today in today's standards. John D. Rockefeller, he would have in the vicinity of about six hundred billion, I think, dollars today. So, still the richest man in history is John D. Rockefeller. But J.P. Morgan was brokering those deals around that time, and uh, and he was, I think he was uh, he was he was very helpful in the nineteen oh seven stock market crash. He was helpful in bringing, you know, developing the stock market to what it, you know, turned into at Wall Street there. So very, very important character in the story. And then what happened was um, when the ticket the, the ticket tape started to be developed where you could look at stock prices instantly through the ticket tape that would come through at your house or wherever it was, and you could see stock prices quoted every day. And you've probably seen this on some of the old movies before the 29 stock market crash. But what happened was a lot of Americans started to get into stocks because it was so available, so much liquidity, so simple and less expensive to buy and sell. And the, the assets and the investments they were buying weren't just the shipping expeditions from way back in the 15 and 1600s. It was actually good quality businesses. You know, there were some good railroads. There was, um, uh, you know, General Electric as a business, right, which is a wonderful business. So they're all buying shares. The, the American population buying shares and at that point, shares could only go up. You know, probably you've heard that before in real estate. Oh, it only goes up, right? It doesn't. It doesn't always just go up. But in 1929, it was just everyone was in, and it remind. And there was this. And there's this story of. It was actually uh, JFK, JFK, John F. Kennedy's father. So John F. Kennedy, one of the most famous U.S. presidents, his father worked on Wall Street in an investment house. And he was on his way to work in 1929, and he stopped to get his shoes shined by the shoeshine boy. That's what everyone used to do in those days. They'd get their shoes shined by the shoeshine boy. And he sat down, and the shoeshine boy started giving him stock tips. And so he went straight back to the office after getting his shoes shined. He said, sell everything. We're getting out of the market. And he said, why? Why are we getting out of the market? He said, we'll get, he said whenever the shoeshine boy starts giving you stock tips, it's time to get out because everyone is in. So everyone's in it, which means there's no more buyers, okay? which means there's mainly only sellers. And what's fascinating about that story, because don't forget, history rhymes. It doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Okay, This is why learning history is an important factor of becoming a great investor and also where wisdom comes from. Okay, So when I was on a trip, a friend of mine bought, he sold his business and he bought for $50 million actually, and he bought this yacht, beautiful yacht for about you know it was, it was millions, millions, beautiful yacht. Anyway, we went to the um, the maiden opening of it and uh, this deck party. It was awesome. And on the way there, we're in this Uber, and my dad's having a chat to the guy at the front, and they're talking away. 
he's an Uber driver, right? So he's he's not any in any investment houses, or he's not a professional trader, nothing like that. He's he's driving Uber, which is totally cool, right? But he starts giving my dad crypto tips, and it's just this. It was just this moment of like, wow, this the Uber driver's giving my dad um, crypto tips. And it reminded me of this story with John F. K., JFK's dad where he was getting, uh, the Shushan was giving him stock tips. And I realized at that moment that everyone was in. Everyone was on the buying side of crypto, which means there was no seller, there was no buyers left. Only sellers could emerge. And that was when um, Bitcoin hit $60,000. And I knew that was the top. Well, you know, I had a feeling. I obviously, I don't touch crypto, but um, it was a bubble, right? And since then, it's now, what, 20,000? So it's, it's it's a third of what it was since that time. That was only probably about, you know, 18 months ago or so. Um, anyway, I wanted to tell you that story because it's important because that's what happens, okay, in bubbles. So the stock market crash caused the depression. Well, it was a big part of the depression. didn't cause all the depression. And then over time, with more regulation, the stock market beca- became a lot more regulated and with that, it became more liquid. And as you see it today, the, the there's no more, there's not really any more merchants or brokers. You can do a lot of that online. So um, computers have replaced those merchants from way back in the 1700s, and now you can literally go and buy shares in good quality businesses, not not shipping expeditions. I'm sure you still can for sure. You can actually buy uh, shares in shipping companies now and everything too, which is fine. You could be doing that. You know that's been available for a long time. But you can buy shares in banks and and, and businesses that are well capitalized and and and, and growing, you know. So uh, it's a wonderful place to place your money if you know what you're doing. And of course, through index funds and so forth, which is a bit like, it's a little bit like what happened in the 1700s or 1600s when those merchants, they bought into the East India Trading Company and that East India Trading Company spread its bets across five or 10 boats. So I guess you could say those merchants really invested in an index fund. You know, the first diversified company fund i could say you could say that that was probably the very first one because it spreads your risk okay so now stock markets are very regulated a lot of laws around them and um and they're open from monday to friday from 10 to 4 p.m and uh, all around the world each major country has you know major western civilization has its own stock market and uh that's where they buy and sell pieces of companies right generally bonds um and, and all sorts of different financial instruments okay so that's the history of the stock market. I hope it's been insightful to you as to where it came from, what the idea of it is, because without the stock markets, we wouldn't have a flow of capital. And the way capitalism works is that capital flows to the highest and best use, uh, and that's how innovation happens. Now, it doesn't always work out for the investors, but if you're smart with your capital and you invest in good quality businesses or assets, whatever it might be, or a basket of assets, then of course, over time, the value of those shares increases and you can either sell it or keep it and keep, take the dividends. But not much has changed in terms of the principles of what people were trying to do back in the 1600s when they were giving their money to the ship owners to go and bring back the spoils so they could double their money or whatever it might be. So hope that's been enjoyable for you. If you're enjoying the podcast, give me a share on your Instagram stories. I really appreciate that. And thanks so much uh, to everyone who has been sharing on their on their wall on Instagram or Facebook. And um, hey, thanks so much for leaving us a five-star review. The podcast has been super successful, continuing to grow. Downloads are continuing, and I think we're, we're starting to help people understand in a fun and entertaining way all about money, investing, entrepreneurship, okay? So um, thanks for tuning in this episode, and I look forward to seeing you or talking with you on the next episode of Money Grows on Trees podcast. Thanks for joining us this week on the Money Grows on Trees podcast. 
If you like the show, you might want to check out her book, Money Grows on Trees, which you can find at LloydJRoss.com. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, leave a review, and feel free to reach out to Lloyd on Instagram at LloydJamesRoss. 